You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's new? What's going on? I am so excited with how great this season has been of the show. Uh, we have been struggling hard to get bigger and better talent on the show. And honestly, I've been trying to dig deeper into a lot of questions that I have about the industry and finding those guests that will give me better insight into stuff that I just don't know. There's so much about this business that we think we know because we read articles online and we hear about stuff and we just, we I guess we just ingest a lot of the bullshit that's out there. And a lot of it is just PR. And I know from experience being on sets, it's never like that. <laughs> and so the goal of this show has always been to dig a little bit deeper, to find out how uh, people actually get stuff done, what it's really like to do these jobs. And uh, one of the positions that I'm curious about, and a position that I've never had, has been directing for television. And from the outside, and from the shit that I read on the internet, television seems to be primarily a writer's world. It's like a writer's format. And most people in power on television shows seem to be the writer, executive producer. And I've kind of been told this from my guys, from agents and reps, that unless you're a director that, have, that has proven yourself, unless you've made a film, unless you've done something that essentially gives you an audience, it's really tough to be a showrunner. It's really tough to be the director that designs a show and sets the tone of it. Uh, now, there are exceptions to those rules, like the brothers that directed um, Stranger Things. That was an exception, but they got rejected over and over and over again. I forget how many times they went out on that pitch before they actually got that job. So I'm completely fascinated by this whole process because, you know, this is where a lot of entertainment is going. People, more people now are tuning into Netflix than they are going to watch stuff in the cinema. And even though I still love making movies for the theater and I want to make that theater going experience, that's a big portion of it. And the other stuff that, like, I've got all sorts of questions on it and stuff that we've talked about a little bit on other episodes. Like, if you guys have gone back and listened to the episode with Jeremy Benning, who is the cinematographer for The Expanse, we talked a little bit about what it's like to be a director and what he sees directors have to deal with on television shows. And I think his quote was something like, I feel really bad for a director that has to come in and try to pilot a ship with an entire crew, cast and crew, that already has a system in place. And how do you come in to tell a story in your quote-unquote storytelling style that has to fit into the theme and the pre-designed visual style of a television show? There's a lot of interesting questions there. It's stuff that you really don't think about until you're like, huh, yeah, maybe I could do an episode of TV. Wait a minute, what's it like? What would it be like to walk on to The Walking Dead as a director, on the first day of an episode that you're directing and look around at all that cast and crew and these people that have a system in place, how can you go talk to an actor that has been playing this role for like eight years and say, I don't think that that's what your character would do here? <laughs> how does that work? So at that point, it must be different. When you're a television director, your job must be a little bit different, right? Well, obviously, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm super excited to have someone on today's show that does. And because in the spirit of what the season has been, where we're digging deeper and we're finding bigger and better guests 
I wanted to make sure that we got someone that had a resume, right? That had worked with some of the greats. And my God, the IMDb page for our today's guest is insane. This director started back with Spielberg back in the day on a television show called Amazing Stories. Now, a lot of you younger listeners may not know what that is, but this was like 1986, 1987. Really great series. Director then went on to work with David Lynch in Twin Peaks. Like directed episodes of Twin Peaks, right? Cult classic, a show that is that literally changed the game for television. Uh, and then the laundry list is so massive. She's done shows, uh, NYPD Blue, Freaks and Geeks, um, The OC, Grey's Anatomy, West Wing, Heartland, Heroes. She did an episode. ER did multiple episodes on ER. Remember how fucking big ER was? Weeds, House, Mad Men. Now talk about a show that is like mini movies. Every episode feels like a film. Mad Men, uh, Pretty Little Liars, True Blood. True Blood's massive. Justified, The Walking Dead. She did an episode on The Walking Dead. Ray Donovan, Law and Order. And uh, most recently, not only as a director, but also as an executive producer on Homeland, the season finale and all that stuff. Really great show and killed it. The season finale was incredibly successful. Um, so I'm very pleased to present a conversation with the amazing, talented director, Leslie Lika Gladder. Now, like I said, she's been in the business for years. Not only does she share with us how she got into the business, she talks about mentorships, she talks about what, what she got from working with Spielberg, little tips and tricks that she got from working with David Lynch. Um, but then she also talks about how she continues to pass that forward and is a mentor for young women in the industry, young men and women in the industry now, which is amazing. We talk about what these shadow programs are like. So being a director that gets accepted into a program where you shadow another director uh, on a television series and then some of these programs it will even guarantee that after you're you you shadow them you actually get to direct an episode can you imagine how cool that is to just spend time with other directors and this is something that's really fascinating about television unlike film it seems like with tv because there are so many different directors working on the show you're around directors all the time and you're working with them and you're learning from them she talks about that on the show too um so this is a good episode. I'm fucking really excited about this one. Uh, and I just want to thank everybody who's been listening to the show and thank you for supporting us. And those of you who continue to follow the show on Instagram, that's at Love With The Process on Instagram. It's at Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Get it right, Michael. And those of you following my personal page at uh, Mike Petchy on Instagram, there you've been sending me feedback, asking for guests, trying to get guests on the show. Uh, have been reaching out to those guests that you guys have been suggesting. So hopefully uh, we'll get some more as we continue. And man, I feel like I've been so busy. I just said to Gina today, it's like, man, I've done so many podcasts at this point. Um, where, where are we at? I think we're at like, what is this, 86 or something? I don't know if we're going to rearrange the order of it, but recording wise, I think it's like number 86. We're getting close to 100. It's insane. And I've been looking at our numbers, guys. So I just recently looked at our numbers. Our numbers, our listenership has doubled. 
This year, our listenership has literally doubled. So thank you for telling your friends and family to listen to the show. I'm very humbled and I'm very proud to be able to bring you this stuff. Um, and I can't do it without your help. So continue to advertise the show to your friends and family. Brag about it. This is where I'm actually hearing what actually happens in the business. We're talking about the real shit on the show. All right. Well, I don't want to delay this any further. And Leslie's got a lot of stuff to share with us. She's had such an amazing career at this point and continues to do so. She's lining up a whole new series that not only is she directing, but she's, I think she's directing every episode. And she's EPA, which is a huge accomplishment. So, you know the deal. Go find those noise-canceling headphones. Find yourself a comfy seat. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Leslie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thrilled to be here, Mike. Um, I Like we were saying offline, I am just completely astounded with your body of work. Uh, and I was just recently uh, introduced to the amount of stuff that you do. And just digging back through history, I just saw myself sitting in front of the television and watching episodes of all these TV shows that you've done. Wow. Well, thank you. That's so kind. What it basically means is I'm OLD. <laughs> well, I've been around for a while, but the truth is I love being a storyteller and I'm going to be doing it until like I'm rolling to the set with my walker and my oxygen tank. <laughs> I am right there with you. I've said multiple times that it's my dream to just keel over at the craft services tail. Exactly. That's exactly. it. <laughs> um, well, let's catch the audience up because uh, many of the listeners that are younger listeners, uh, they may not necessarily know your history. So let's sort of start at the beginning. You got into this business in a strange way. You started as a, as a dance choreographer, correct? That's correct. I was a modern dancer and then a choreographer for many years. And that was back when the American government actually sponsored the arts. Yes, wow. I know it's hard to imagine. Wow. And uh, I was you know, working out of New York, and then I went to London and then to Paris for a total of about six years. I was with an English theater and dance company, same in Paris with a French company. And then I got a grant to teach, choreograph, and perform throughout the Far East. So mm -hmm. I moved to Tokyo. And wow. we would spend like three months at the Peking Opera School and three months at the Balinese Dance Academy. And it was transformative. I, I've always, I have such a love affair for Japan and I've never actually been there. It seems like such an amazing place full of tradition and full of like, uh, like honor of age and honor of, of technique. Is that, is that true? It's so true. It is this fascinating combination of, you know, they have something called a national living treasure. So a human being can be declared like a museum piece. Wow. You know, what a beautiful concept. Yeah. Yes, it's a huge um, respect and reverence for 
art and craft and and uh, and how long it takes to be good at something, but also it is incredible for the experimental arts. So mm. it's not just this transition, uh, this you know this uh, this tradition, which is fantastic, but it is also the acceptance of the new and the exploration and the creative, and it's uh, it's a fascinating juxtaposition of uh, and it made me see the world in a very different way. I love that. And that's honestly, and I've been talking about this on the show multiple times recently. I really love the fact, especially in American cinema, that with age comes comes success. You know what I mean? And you see so many um, older directors and people over the age of 30, 40, just being incredibly successful all the way until like, look at Clint Eastwood. He's, what is he, in his 80s at this point? And he's still making movies? It's truly amazing and admirable. Oh, I love it so much. I love it so much. And it's, I really want to get into this further with you as we continue about mentorships and how important it is mm. for all this. But before we skip ahead, let's, let's sort of continue through on a bit of history here. So um, you were teaching uh, uh, dancing and you were choreographing stuff. That must have been very useful for you in the long run, because at that point, you're just telling stories visually with bodies in motion, correct? That's exactly right. And the other thing about dance that's so amazing is that you can't cheat. Your leg goes up in the air <laughs> or it doesn't. You know, I can tell you how fantastic I am, but then two seconds later, you're going to see me on stage and my leg is wobbling and you know I'm full of shit. So, so it's, it's like kind of a great background before getting involved in film because you really have to go through the process. And, uh, you know, I kind of, the way I got into film is so unusual because I was in Tokyo and wanted a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. there, there was two coffee shops, one on the right, one on the left. I arbitrarily picked the one on the right <laughs> and it was packed. And uh, there was one seat left with an older Japanese man. So I was maybe 25. He was like 75. And he waved me over. And I sat down with this man. He turned out to be an extraordinary person who became like my Japanese mentor slash father, teacher. Wow. Uh, and uh, if I had walked in the coffee shop on the left, I would have never directed because he ultimately told me. Uh, a series of six stories that all happened on Christmas Eve, even though he was Buddhist, all during different wars and about human connection. And that's what became my first film, because when I heard the stories, I knew it wasn't dance. Huh. Fascinating. Isn't that so interesting? Like, I've had stories like that myself where I've sat next to someone on a train and had shared such an amazing connection or met someone in different places. You just never, especially in our business, you never know who you're going to bump into and you never know what that's going to lead to. It's Absolutely. Fun. And that's, I think, well, you're a director, Mike. That mm -hmm. important thing is being open to the opportunities that present themselves, whether it's from your actors or from some, you know, somebody on your crew or whatever it is. You know, it's, uh, it's being open and alive to life. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So let's skip ahead. So then you ended up going to film school, right? You went, went to AFI? Did kind I read that? of. Kind of. So I, I finally came back to America after 11 years overseas, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I was married a few marriages ago. Uh, so I came back to, I came to LA and I had actually never been to LA, but assumed I would have to go back to New York to pursue my career. And I had all of this going on from having 
just, you know, spent all this incredibly intense time in Japan and mm-hmm. I did a concert and it got a lot of attention. So I ended up uh, staying in LA and uh, I met my uh, the first filmmaker I ever met who ended up becoming my first mentor. But he he was the person that said, this is a film. You need to tell these stories as a film. It's not a dance. It's not a theater piece. And that's where kind of the AFI, the American Film Institute, uh, you know, I learned about the program there called the Directing Workshop for Women. So I didn't actually go to film school. It was a it was a grant program. That's so cool. you applied, you got in. I, I should also add, I was completely unqualified for the program. <laughs> it was set up for people in the film business who hadn't directed. And mm. I was not in the film biz- business. I had no connections with the film business. And But I got in. That year, they let in a theater director and myself as a choreographer. And, um, you know, I get in this program. You have like three days of kind of seminars. And then you're supposed to go and direct your 30-minute your film. Mm-hmm. And I realized from those three days, I knew nothing. <laughs> no, I did not have a film background. I, I looked at the credits and it was like key grip, best boy. What does that mean? <laughs> so I worked on like, I still had a full-time job. I was, uh, I was on the faculty of California Institute of the Arts, but I worked on like 10 of the other women's films before I ended up directing my film. Mm. And because I felt like I needed to learn what the process was before I was telling the story that was so important to me. And mm-hmm. in fact, ironically, I was told not to tell that particular story if I ever wanted a job in Hollywood. Because what? the story was three quarters in Japanese, so therefore had subtitles, had flashbacks, narration, was a period piece set in World War II, and it had one Caucasian character. <laughs> That's hysterical. It's funny that you say that, and I'll have to send it to you. My film, my short film that I recently did that actually got me representation was completely filmed in the Russian language. Oh, no. Are you serious? That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> So you can never, I, one thing that I've learned is that you really can't take the advice of a lot of those people that, that send you that stuff. A good story and a story with heart and a story that really connects with you can really transcend all that. Yes. Stuff. And also that was the reason it wasn't like, oh, now I'm going to become a director. It was, I have a story that I have to tell. And after doing, after directing my first short film, I realized this is my next chapter. Mm. It was very mm. clear to me. But, at, you know, when I started, I thought, well, this could be a one-time occurrence. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm changing careers. Right, 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 right. So, okay, so then let's fast forward a little bit. Yeah. So why why television? How did you get into television as a director? Oh, okay. So, you know, it's interesting. I never set out to be in television or film specifically. I just wanted to tell stories that I felt passionate about and compelled to tell. And my first couple of jobs were instigated by such amazing filmmakers. So my first job was on Amazing Stories, which was an anthology series that Steven Spielberg uh, dreamed up. Mm -hmm. And he had amazing uh, very experienced filmmakers directing. It was they were half hour stories, 
And he had three young filmmakers uh, as part of, of, of that. So it was an incredible occurrence, you know, that I happened to be one of those three. Mm-hmm. And that became kind of my film school in many ways because I, I mentored, I shadowed with Spielberg and then I shadowed with, ironically, you brought up Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood, because I, when wow. he asked me to direct, I was like, you know, I've only done one thing and I would love to shadow a couple of people before I did mine. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And then I directed my first amazing stories. And I can tell you my first day on the set, it was 12, no, nine cameras and three IMOs and <laughs> 300 guys storming a beach in World War II. <laughs> that was day one. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and I, I loved it. Uh, so then I ended up directing two more amazing stories and then my next, my, my first series was Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's crazy. And with another iconic, brilliant director, David Lynch. Uh-huh. So I never looked at TV as a lesser medium. You know, mm-hmm. for both of these master filmmakers, it was like, tell the most visual, powerful story that you can tell. And it wasn't about what the delivery system was. So it, I just never looked at it that way. That's so fascinating. Okay, so to dig a little bit deeper here, so you, so you went through the process of shadowing some pretty amazing people. Yes. What, what, what was that? What was it like? I guess I asked this question because oftentimes I feel like being a director can be a kind of a lonely job and a lonely business, and it's very rare that you get access to hang out with other directors while they're working. I've mm-hmm. been lucky enough to do it with a few. Um, and it's been sort of life changing for me. What what was what was a shadowing experience like for you back in the early days? Well, what you're saying is absolutely true, Mike, because you're the only one. You're the only director on the set at any given time. Yeah. But I think what's so incredible about TV is that you get to be around a lot of directors. Hmm. So that was so in in the beginning, so incredibly instructive. And now I see that as oh my God, I get to be around my colleagues whose work I love and respect and I get to learn from them all the time. So it's been a gift for me. Uh, But it was amazing. I mean, what I learned from watching Steven Spielberg was listen to your instincts. And (laughs) he was such a conscious, clear storyteller. I, I felt like I was at the feet of a master. And he was very... He storyboarded almost everything at that time. And I think that's not the case now, or I know that's not the case now, but it was amazing to watch his uh, conscious choices. Hmm. To be, it made me have to question my choices and why I was making that choice and why I wanted you to see the film from that point of view, the story from that point of view. And also it was all about knowing what story you're telling. Yeah. And, and then watching Clint Eastwood work, who's a master storyteller as well, but his style couldn't be more different. Yeah. You know? And then going to David Lynch, where <laughs> you know, David was, you know, also very conscious filmmaker, you know, but he was open to, I guess the lesson with David was about being open, open to all the opportunities in the moment. Not that, hmm. not, not that the other directors didn't do that, but I guess in my learning process, that was the thing that 
you know, became the kind of, uh, it, it, you know, learning moment for me sure. at that particular time of my process of like, whether it comes from a crew member or for an actor or from someone leaving a moose head on a table. and uh, be open to what life has to offer because that could be the most incredible magic. He's the, he's the master at that. I mean, his whole like meditation stuff that he does and and how he sort of like minds these crazy ideas and really interesting scenarios. um, He's, he's a master at that stuff. And, you know, I am so envious. I just have to say that <laughs> you have you have such a great uh, history of learning from so, the, the masters. At this point, like I'm so influenced by Spielberg. I love his coverage. I love the way he uses the dolly. I love the way he um, like uh, can block his actors around the camera. Uh, and so I'm studying his films and look, going through DVDs and like just going like I think he's doing this. I would have killed. Oh, <laughs> and, and I did. I mean, he's a master storyteller. It was, you know, a grateful does not even begin to describe it. <laughs> uh, Colin ended up in that situation with just like, you know, uh, you you can't even, there are no words. So I'm fascinated. Okay. So I've primarily sort of come from the film world. I've never done TV stuff before. And I've, of course, now we're having this amazing sort of, time period for television and television Mm -hmm. is, you know, basically what everybody's watching right now. Uh, and television production has changed and it's gotten a lot bigger. And, um, so I'm completely fascinated with the process of it. And I've had other guests on the show. I've had, uh, Jeremy Benning, who's the cinematographer for the expanse. And I've had uh, writers on the show that have talked about it. And, And television seems to be, and my agents have told me this as well. Television is the writer's medium. So, what is it like to be a director for, for television? It must be a completely different thing than well, directing for film. Well, I actually don't think that it is. Okay. So uh, I think, again, because I started directing television under the guise of, a, of two directors, mm-hmm. that I, yes, the writer, I mean, obviously, uh, the writer is your partner. In this process, without the writer, there is no story. But you come into this with very different skills. So for me, I never saw TV as the writer's medium. You have to tell a visual story. Mm-hmm. And uh, what became clear to me is that you really need to know your story in TV because if you have a shorter time to shoot, you need to know what the dollar scene is and what the 25 cent scene is. Right. You really need to know what are the, I don't know, five scenes that turn your story. And if you don't get those absolutely right, visually, storytelling, performance, the story is never going to work. And what are the scenes that you can move through quicker? Because it's always a horse trading scenario. Mm-hmm. If, if you have eight days to shoot something, you're not going to get more time. So you need to figure out how to divide your time. You know, right. in terms of what's important in your story. But I never saw TV as a non-visual medium. Hmm. So, and I was very lucky to work with, you know, showrunners, with writing producers as great partners that wanted you to tell the story in the best possible way. So, you know, yes, I've had a few not so great experiences like everyone. Sure. Uh, but in general, you know, 
we're in a team sport and you want to get the best possible team around you. And I feel grateful for that. Like if you look at a show, which I was not an executive producer on, but something like West Wing. Mm -hmm. I mean, West Wing, Aaron Sorkin, what can you say? He's a master, (laughs) a master writer. And Mm -hmm. is his directing producer, executive producer, director was Tommy Schlamme. No, Thomas Schlamme, one of the most wonderful directors. And they were very clear on their skill sets. So Aaron would write a a phenomenal scene with eight actors, 10 pages, and the only scene direction would be he enters. (laughs) And how you translated that visually and where you set it. And is it moving throughout the White House? Is it, you know, walking from outside inside? I mean, wherever it is, that was a directorial choice. Mm-hmm. And so it was in the strength of their partnership, having different skills that, you know, West Wing, you know, kind of blossomed. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it was a huge, a huge show. Yeah. West Wing was massive. And, uh, I'm also fascinated with, so what's it like being a director that you walk on to a television show that has already got an established tone, it's already got an established mm. visual theme, and then to to an extent, the crew's already got a system down, and then the, the actors already have a system down. What's it like walking in on something like that? Well, I think a director really has to do their homework. So mm. if you're coming into... A new show, you know, I've directed many pilots. That's different. That's like doing a movie because you're establishing the style and the look and feel and the casting and all of it. But if you're coming into an existing show, you have to come in and do your homework. You have Mm -hmm. to know the world of the show. And you are not going to go up to an actor who's been doing this role for three years and tell that actor who their character is. They know who that character is, (laughs) but you still have to direct them in the scene. Mm. Mm. So and, then you, so then yeah. you're just monitoring the moment with them, and you're just monitoring what they're doing in that in that specific time. Well, that, but you have to really understand the story. I look at each episode as a chapter in the bigger story. Uh, okay, okay, that makes sense. And and as far as visually, yes, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. You're not going to give the show a different style, but you have to tell that, that story, that hour long story as visually as you can. Mm, fascinating. It's fascinating because, because you, you are an executive producer now, big time. So you, you actually are in charge of dealing with a lot of the directors that walk on and a lot of the logistics on the sets, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So that must be an interesting like, uh, what's the casting process for finding directors for you? Are you just looking for stuff that speaks to you? Or are you looking for people that have the, 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 the skill set and the history to work well on sets? Like, how does that work? I want the best possible storyteller. Uh, okay. I want a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I want to give them all the tools they need to tell the best chapter, the best hour of, let's say, if it's Homeland, of Homeland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm around as an executive producer a lot when the directors are prepping. But once the director's shooting, it's that director set. Right, right, right. I would never be there to micromanage someone who's a fantastic director. You're hiring them because of their skills as a storyteller. 
You sound like a wonderful EP. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I learned from someone great. I learned from Tommy Shlomi on Westwood. Yeah. yeah. And I okay. saw how he empowered directors to do their best work. And I really believe that's how people work best, if you empower them. Mm. Mm. It's so cool. Such an interesting medium for me. I, I get, and, and how it's expanded to the point now where you watch uh, a series, you watch a show, whether it's on Netflix or whether it's even on regular television, and the production value on this stuff, it's like mini movies. And oh, then yeah. you, you look at this and go, how the hell? Have they shot enough material for 12 movies in what, however many months they do it? Like it's how's, crazy. it's crazy. It is crazy. I, ha I have to say, like uh, what you have to do in television, like you look at streaming services and premium cable and the level of storytelling, how, how the story's told, the look and feel, the casting, like we are in a, you know, people always talk about the golden age, but mm -hmm. I love that now if it needs to be a two-hour story, fantastic. Make it a two-hour story. If it's a six-hour story, great. It's a limited series. If it's an ongoing story, that's a whole other thing. I love that, that stories can be what they need to be. It doesn't have to fit in a box. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's and very true. Kinds of filmmakers are, you know, the project that I was about to start on when we all went into to quarantine was an eight part miniseries for Amazon where I was directing all eight episodes. <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's happening more and more. It's the singular vision of the director. And I believe there's that vision, you know, whether you're doing an hour or or you want that vision whether you're doing an hour or you're doing eight hours. And of course you have to play well with us, others. It's a team sport. And yeah. when you are going onto somebody's show that's existing, you are going into their playpen, you know, and you want to, you want to play well in that playpen, but you still have to be the director and tell the best possible story. And I, I say this on the show all the time, whether it's TV or film, it's, you know, or whether you're doing theater it is a team sport and you have to be that person that is not only uh, can check your own ego, but also can look around and see what it is that you're saying and how it's affecting the people around you. Uh, because it can be incredibly destructive if, if there's the wrong ego in a situation like that. Oh, and, and also I, you know, on Homeland, we had such a wonderful scenario where it was not about being the smartest person in the room, but about being in the room with the smartest people. <laughs> That's great, actually. And and that is where I want to be uh, and uh, where the best idea wins. And it was it was an amazing experience, you know, with a showrunner, you know, the creator of Homeland is Alex Ganza and Howard Gordon. Mm -hmm. And Alex was, you know, running the show as the writing producer. And uh, he, we had a no asshole policy. <laughs> That's good. It was, uh, it was a great experience as well as we kind of reinvented the wheel every season going to a different country, uh, uh, very much research. The stories would come from uh, a week that we would spend in D.C., the writers, myself, Claire Danes, and Mandy Patinkin meeting with the intelligence community. Oh, I know. I want to ask you some stuff about oh, that. Absolutely. But I have to read you a quote that is one of my favorite quotes from Truffaut. Okay. 
The secret of good directing is knowing exactly what you want, but having no ego about giving it up the second anyone has a better idea. It's a great quote. Right? That's a fantastic quote. It's a fantastic quote. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I, always, I was talking to someone about it last week and they were asking me um, how I actually go through the process of dealing with, with crew and, and getting crew to come on board with my ideas. And, and most of the time, even if I have a solid idea, I'll walk into a room and say, I don't know how to do this. How do you guys, how would you guys do this? Just so that I can hear fresh new ideas from everybody in that room. And maybe they'll come around to the same idea that I originally had, or even better, I might have a, a good time making this because I discover something new with people. And we go through the process together. I really love that about directing. I love that too. I love that we get to be with all these incredibly skilled artists in every field. Mm. It's, it, it's yeah. Sorry. On a it's so world. It's amazing. Okay, it's time for us to take a quick break and thank the men and women that help support the show. Um, I can't do this without them, and we can't do it without your support as well. So if you would like to support the podcast, there's a bunch of different ways you can do so. If you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com backslash sponsors or click the sponsors tab on our website. For those of you who don't like typing out URLs, um, there you'll find a bunch of different ways to get us some loot without having to reach in your own pocket. And one of the simplest ways of doing it is to sign up for a free trial at audible.com. So if you go to audibletrial.com backslash and level the process, the link will be below. But if you haven't done it already, sign up for the 30-day free trial. You'll get access to a free book, 30 days on the website, which gives you access to all their audio content. Um, and you're going to become addicted. I guarantee it. Because there's nothing better than listening to books that you want to read while you're driving or while you're sitting around in your house right now. Um, and at before the 30 days are up, if you decide that you can't afford it, if uh, this, for some reason you want to cancel, do so. It doesn't matter to us. We still get paid. So best way to support the show. Sign up for that Audible free trial below. Won't cost you a dime. Uh, we also have a bunch of really great deals with Capital One. So if you're someone that is responsible with your credit cards and with your credit and you're looking to get a new credit card for your business, you don't want to be tapping into your rent money uh, when you have to rent gear and do all that sort of stuff. Be smart about it. Get yourself a credit card that pays you back. Capital One has a bunch of really great deals uh, and incentives, point incentives, um, and we have those listed on our website. So like I said, go to loveoftheprocess.com backslash sponsors and choose the card that works for you if you're responsible. Um, and uh, we'll get a little bit of loot out of that too. So two good ways to support us without having to go into your wallet. Okay, so for the sponsors, let's, let's say a good hello to our good friends over at Puget Systems. If you are looking for a brand new computer, if you're a filmmaker, a photographer, a music producer, and your machine right now just isn't cutting it, you're like, fuck, I got to go buy a new machine. And you look, you go to Apple's website, you look at those price tags, and you're like, what am I getting? And what am I paying for? And what the fuck? Yeah, good news, you don't just have to buy a Mac. You can buy a PC these days, and PCs are a lot more customizable, a hell of a lot more upgradable, and a lot more affordable 
So you can sort of cut away that unboxing experience cache and then transition that into a better graphics card, more like maybe you want solid state fucking hard drives. Uh, you can actually custom build this machine to work for you. Now, I know a lot of you guys out there are people that are like, I want a PC, but I don't want to build it myself. I did the hard work for you. I found these guys, Puget Systems. They're phenomenal. I cut all my movies on a Puget System PC, um, and it has never let me down. Uh, so do yourself a favor. Go to PugetSystems.com and choose uh, the software that you're using, and they will give you a baseline computer option. And there, they like to have conversations with their clients, so you can actually reach out to them and say, this is what I need, and this is what I'm building, and this is how much money I have. What can we do? And they will help put together a system for you that will show up in a nice box, and you can open up, turn on, and get editing. So, PugetSystems.com. And for those of you who aren't in the U.S. right now, and you guys are like, oh, Puget doesn't ship internationally. Yeah, I know. It's a huge bum out. But they've just started a new consultation program where I think starting at $500, they'll actually walk you through how to build your own PC, how to build your own Puget PC. And the thing that's so great about these guys is that they benchmark tested all this hardware. They've tested what works with what, how well it works with certain programs. They have all that data. So the guessing game is no longer for you. You can just go to them, sign up, and uh, have them help you build the PC. So go to PugetSystems.com, click the links below. They're traceable links, so they'll know that we sent you. So definitely click the links below if you're looking to buy a build a new computer. Uh, as always, supporting us, the good fellows over at Quasar Science. Uh, one of the best advancements in the filmmaking business has been LED lighting, right? So with all this really cool LED lighting technology, not only can we dial in any color in the rainbow, uh, but we can have these things daisy-chained together. We've been running different programs through them. It just makes life a lot simpler. There are also smaller footprint units, units that don't run as hot as far as temperature is concerned, so your sets run a lot cooler. I cannot say enough great things about LED lighting. And a lot of you guys are always asking, Mike, what do you have in your kit? I have a bunch of Quasar tubes. So if you're looking to build a new kit, if you want to get quality LED units, uh, go to QuasarScience.com. All right. And that'll do it for our reads for today. Let's get right back into this. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about, because I read somewhere that it's called Spy Camp. What is this? What is this spy camp? I think that was affectionately nicknamed by Claire. Uh, <laughs> that is our, our nickname. But yes, we would go and spend a week literally from like breakfast to midnight meeting with the heads of the CIA, NSA, DNI, uh, journalists, uh, treasury. We would meet with a whole array of people. And it was illuminating. It was also terrifying because <laughs> Alex would ask, what is your biggest fear? What keeps you up at night? And they would tell us. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's where the season would come from, in, from those sessions. I, that's what I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, 
I've, because of doing filmmaking or documentary work, you oftentimes get access to behind the scenes on stuff that normally you would only understand because you've seen it on television or in movies. And most of the time you get into that scenario and it's kind of a boring situation where, you know, it isn't a room full of lab scientists. It's just like one guy sitting in a court and drinking coffee. Is it, (laughs) is it as stressful in real life as it is on Homeland? (laughs) I think it's pretty stressful. I think the world uh, and, that, you know, that's one of the things we choose to do visually is is make you feel that the earth is not quite stable. You know, people yeah. talk about how Homeland makes them feel very anxious, and that's obviously very intentional. But I think they're the thing that I, I think the reason the intelligence community has been so helpful to us, and it is not because we present them in a white hat. We do not. Mm-hmm. You know, Homeland is very much about nobody has a white hat or a black hat. Everyone's in shades of gray somehow. Smart. And, uh, you know, a classic Homeland scene is people, two people with opposing views, and they're both right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. not that we present them so positively. I think they feel we get the the idea of dedication to mission right and mm-hmm. that we really research things. Yeah. And that's what makes it fascinating. That's what makes that 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 genre fascinating. Is that right or wrong, it's whatever side you're coming from and whatever history you're sort of dealing with when you get into a conflict, which is exactly Really, I mean, the drama in that is massive. So it, it doesn't surprise me that that show has been so successful um, because of that. And <laughs> I can only imagine the nightmares that you have after going to uh, spy camp. <laughs> it's intense. I can tell you that. You know, but at least I know people I can pick up the phone if I have. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it also um, – the fact that we have reinvented the wheel every year and it's not made it easier to create, to produce, mm. because we're always starting over. I mean, one of the things about TV, but the time we're in like the eighth season of the hospital set, you know, every nook and cranny and you kind of walk in and you're ready to go on day one of yeah. eight. We start over again in another country, hiring a whole new crew. So it never got easier but it always stayed exciting, which is honestly one of the reasons I stayed with the show is that it was always an ongoing challenge. And I loved the world we were dealing with and the politics and the characters. And Carrie Matheson, I think, is one of the iconic female characters who is so complex and layered and complicated and ambiguous. So it, and of course, Claire Danes has made me a more fearless director. She is an amazing partner in crime. Oh, awesome. She, she's wonderful. And uh, like, I was so happy to actually see her, uh, have get her on TV show and lead that because I always thought she was such a wonderful actress. She is indeed. And a wonderful human. That's so great. And it's it's such an interesting point that you're talking about, the difference between being out in the field and doing a show as epic as Homeland is, as far as production's concerned. And we'll get into that in a sec. But you've also had experience doing shows like ER. And ER was just basically set builds, right? You guys are just playing on the same sets for every episode. And most of the time, that's absolutely true. And, you know, ER was very compelling. It was about the characters. It was life and death. But it, it existed primarily... 
you know, in a hospital, it's an ER. And, you know, so there were certain people's houses and, sure. you know, so, but, but it was primarily a stage show. So Homeland, you know, we, we grew in the amount of days that we shot an episode, though it's a lot less than one would think. It is, you know, not, uh, not on the scale that one would imagine. But, you know, the last season we shot 11-day episodes. Uh, wow. We started off with eight-day episodes, and it became nine and then continued. But of the 11 days, nine days were on location. It's, how long is the show again? I can't remember. What is the running time per episode? A whole hour. So, you know, oh my God. anywhere from 53 minutes to 57 minutes. You know, the last episode, I think, was an hour, over an hour. Uh, that's a lot to shoot in 11 days. Yes. Yes. That's like, that's like doing breakneck independent film speed. That's for- exactly right. So I feel like it's more like doing indie films, doing this kind of TV. But yeah. but shooting nine days on location is very challenging. Yeah, yeah. And then you guys are shooting in like Morocco and stuff. You guys are doing international stuff. Oh yes, yeah. We That's got to be insane. It is. And well, it, it, shooting in Germany, shooting in South Africa. I mean, every every country you go to is a whole different experience and fantastic. Morocco was challenging. Morocco is challenging. Fascinating. Wonderful culture. Hospitable, but. Challenging. Mm -hmm. And can you get into why it was so challenging? Oh, you know, you ask for a super tracto crane on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And on Tuesday, you find out, well, actually, the crane's been broken for three years. (laughs) And they didn't want to tell you because they didn't want you to be sad because the culture is so hospitable and kind. But, of course, you would rather know. Yeah, of course. That kind of happened in every department all the time. It was challenging, not without wonderful. I think the show looked amazing this year, but it was not easy. Yeah, yeah. And well, and and being an executive producer on something like that, that must be incredibly stressful. What before COVID, what was your day? What was your days like? What was your daily schedule like? How did your day begin before COVID? Oh, on you mean on Homeland, like in Morocco? Sure, in general. It sounds like you're busy all the time. Busy all the time. <laughs> Definitely busy all the time. I do busy so well, I've got it down. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of energy and work excites me and telling stories that I'm passionate about excite me. So it never feels like work to me. Mm. It feels like, wow, this is what I get to do as a job. You know, I am so grateful. Yeah. Even on a bad day, I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that too. I say that all the time. It's like, I'd rather go have a bad day on set than anywhere else because it's still a great day that I was even able to walk on the damn thing. I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. It's so cool. So very cool. Well, um, so you're working on a new series, right? So what, what's the uh, what's the new series about that you guys are doing? New series is uh, I'm working actually with a wonderful writer by the name of Meredith Steam, who created shows like Cold Case and the American version of The Bridge, and was also on Homeland for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, because Alex Ganza hired all showrunners, so the writing staff was just this kind of rock star group of writers. And Meredith was part of that group. Uh, And we, season three in Spy Camp, 
we had a storyline that was about following the money of, of terrorists. Mm-hmm. And we met uh, an incredible advisor from the Treasury Department. And we both kind of looked at each other and went, hmm, there's an <laughs> interesting story here. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is a, is a series called The Banker's Wife. It's based on a novel. And it is a political thriller. And it looks at the banks that do business with dictators and money launderers and drug runners and terrorists and the wealthy and entitled. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. and, and so that's what the series, uh, the world that the series exists in, and it has two great female characters. Oh, so cool. Yes. I'm, exci- I'm excited for it. Yes, I'm, really I'm excited, excited it. about it too. So we were, I, I uh, myself and my team, producer uh, Karen Richards and Sunday Stevens, and we were on our way, and Jerry Fleming, the production designer, uh, we were meeting the planning on meeting the DP, John Conroy, in Budapest to start prep, to be oh. in location scouting and to start actual physical prep when we got the call to stand down. Yeah. I hear Budapest is, is an amazing place to film. I hear that place is amazing for production. Yes, it is. We shot there several years ago. We shot Budapest for Russia. Mm-hmm. And it was a great experience, great cruise, um, wonderful place to work. Ah, so cool, so very cool. Yes, um, I'm enjoying this conversation. By the way, I, it's not often that I get this kind of detail and in in, in depth from somebody. So I just want to say again, thank oh, you. Thank you. Well, me too. Um, let's go back to directing a little bit. It must be, I'm sure, and you don't have to get into specifics, but I'm sure it's you've had your challenging moments dealing with with like talent egos on television shows, especially being like a walk on director. How do you navigate uh, like either actor insecurities or actor egos? Mm. Uh, yes, I've definitely had that, and I think that certainly when I was a young director, uh, I was tested by older actors. And understandably, they wanted to know had I done my homework. Mm-hmm. And I think it behooves all of us as directors to do your homework, know what story you're telling, know what each act, each character, you know, where do they come from? Where are they going to? Where are they in the story? What does that actor want in the scene? I think if we've done our homework, you know, that you will end up most likely having a good experience with, with an actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I might've been tested in the beginning, but by the end, it's mo- there are a few, there's only a couple of actors I would choose never to go there again. Right, 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 right. But life is too short, but in general, actors are amazing. I mean, they're putting themselves on the line to show us something about the human condition. I think what a director needs to do, we all come in with certain skills that mm-hmm. you, you know you have. If you don't have a skill, you need to go and get it. So if I don't feel comfortable working with actors, go to an acting class. Learn how to talk to actors so you can get the best performance you need to get. So I think that's all the things we as directors can learn. And, and then you have more colors in your paint box. Yeah, hell yeah. I always say that it's all about building that toolbox. Yes. It's all about building that toolbox. And even if you're, you know, even now in COVID time, you can be doing research. You can be like looking through stuff. You can be doing your homework. Oh, absolutely. You know, 
That's important. Um, and I agree with you. I, I have nothing but the biggest amount of respect for actors and, and talent. And, and from my perspective, it's all about getting them to feel comfortable and getting them to trust you as a filmmaker that they can give you stuff that may or most likely won't work and won't be judged for it. So it's, yeah, you're it's, so right. They, you need to make them feel safe and comfortable to go to those places. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's so oftentimes I hear actors say that most directors do not know how to talk to them. Interesting. Yeah. Inter inter do they ever go into specifics on that? Do they ever well, tell you why? Well, I think a lot of the time you will, you know, actors will get a note that is maybe superficial. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's not, that's not terribly helpful because it's an outside, outside of your body kind of note, you know, and something that's behavior that you can do is much more, is much more helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we encounter that. I encounter that all the time in the advertising world where when you're doing commercials and stuff like that, you're, you're, you're trying to stay in between the, the client and the talent, but oftentimes that is in the scenario and you just, you, I hate when you, someone walks over and goes, just do it like this. And you're just like, okay, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> why did we go through the process of casting this individual? And why do we have someone that has so much more talent? Because you don't know how to act. Because if you did know how to act, you'd probably be in front of the camera. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's such a wild, weird job. It really is directing, isn't it? It is, because it uses so many different skill sets. Yeah, yeah. So looking back on your career and looking back on your, on your mentorships that you've been through and the mentors that you've met, mm -hmm. and I know this is probably a difficult question, but what is the piece of advice that has stuck with you the longest? What is the one that you like either have written down or you go to when, sh when stuff gets tough? Good question. There, there are a couple of them. Uh, and, and one of them is, uh, stay in touch with your instincts. Mm. So if you're watching a scene and something isn't working and you're in a rush and there's, you know, the producer's over there looking at his watch, but if something's not working and you don't solve it, you know, your instincts will stop talking to you. Mm. And they, you need to keep that channel open, whatever you need to do. And that's going to be different for each person, how they do that. But that's critically important. I feel like I've gotten better at reading a script and really understanding what the story is. And the story is always my touchstone. Go mm -hmm. back to the story. If I'm feeling insecure and listen, I'm terrified be before I start anything new. Mm -hmm. Me too. Oh my God. You're Me putting too. yourself on the line. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. Um, I think do your homework, but be open to what's happening in the moment. Yeah, that's great. That's really a huge one. And also, you know, it, it takes a lot of tenacity to be a director. And in that tenacity, you have to remember the joy. Mm. If you forget, if you're struggling so hard to make it, and by the time you get that chance, you're bitter and angry, you're not going to be working from your best place. Mm. Mm hmm. That's really good advice too. 
And it, that's an interesting thing because in our business, whether you're acting, whether you're directing, we're just dealing with a consistent overflow of rejection. You know, like whether you're writing on things and you're just getting rejected on writing on things or you're waiting for roles. Like how do you, how do you process your rejection? Oh, and I can tell you there have been plenty of them. You know, it, I, how do I process it? I, 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 I feel it. Mm -hmm. I don't deny that I'm feeling sad and upset about it. And usually if it's a film and someone that I think is fantastic has been hired on it, I feel a whole lot better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, and who just did a movie that made a bunch of money, then at least I get all the decisions. If someone who's not very good is hired, I feel shitty. Yeah, totally. <laughs> ultimately, and I allow myself to feel that, but ultimately I can't stay in that place. Yeah. That mm -hmm. is a, not a creative place. So whatever anyone's process is to get yourself out of it, I met, I've been meditating for years. That helps me stay inside of myself. Mm -hmm. And I know that I can only control, I don't worry as much about the things I can't control. I worry more now about the things I can control. I think I wasted a lot of energy on things I can't do anything about. Totally, totally. I, I came to that realization years ago when I was writing for commercials, and commercials is such a brutal business right now. Um, and I would just wait. I would send stuff out, and then I would literally sit in front of my laptop and just wait, 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 wait for it. And like a year went by, and I just looked back, and I went, what did I do this year? I sat around with a ton of anxiety. What is the difference between me waiting in front of my laptop or going on vacation and sitting on a beach and waiting for the phone to ring. Exactly. There, there isn't a difference. So I should be living my life while waiting for this stuff, you know? Well, I think that's something really important to remember is that your life doesn't happen when something good happens. Your life is what you're in all the time. Yes. And, yes. and also, I feel like we also have to be growing all the time and learning and keep challenging yourself. And, and that's, that's what we as creative people need to do, hmm. you know, and, and we have to keep challenging ourselves. Okay. And understanding that, is there something that you're really excited about digging into right now? Is there some new technique or is there new, some new skill that, that really excites you that you don't necessarily have your head wrapped around yet? Oh, there are all sorts of new skills. I, Right now, I've been focusing more on, on new projects, developing new projects. So I'm not really focusing on, um, let's say, a, a, a technical skill. Mm -hmm. So that's just not what I'm doing right now. That's not to say there are not plenty of things to be learning about that. But, you know, in this quarantine time, I've been focusing more on creative development. It's smart. It's smart because a lot of people don't realize that that's most of your, like someone asked me the other day, what's it like to be a director? I'm like, I don't know. I'm on set maybe 10% of the year. <laughs> like it's, it's everything else. It is the development. It is like navigating stuff. It's meeting people. It's going through the process of, of trying to get your work out there, but it's also going through the process of, of living life and, and experiencing things in that life that you can then tell in a story to somebody else. Yes. 
I mean, I remember when I first started, I mean, you come in where you come in, but I remember feeling really bad that I did not have like a real film school background mm-hmm. and that I started late and, you know, I came in from having another career. And, and now I look back on that and like, oh, I'm really grateful that that's what I came from. I was out there. I spent 11 years overseas living life. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, but I did when I first started, I felt like, oh my God, you know, I should have started this when I was 21 and I should have gone to film school and I would have learned all of this technical stuff that, you know, took years to acquire. Uh, and, but listen, you come in with what you come in with and you build on that. Smart. It's very smart. It's a very smart way to be because you, you have that regret. Sometimes I'll look back and go, hey, if I had started this like five years earlier, I'd be five years in front. But then you just remember that, you know, what the stories that you're telling at that moment are, are being put through that fleshy filter between your two ears. And, and that's important. Yes. However, however you're making that nurturing that, that filter to grow and the experiences you have. And there's something fascinating about people that actually go outside the country at a young age and how that changed their perception and how they're a lot more open to things in our country, which is really interesting to me, you know? Uh, it was it was essential for me. Yeah, because then you get to see how another culture lives. You get to actually examine how other cultures see our culture and oh, get to yeah. be on the outside of that, which is which is fascinating, you know? Um, very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. I so, love the, the journey this has all been. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, so it must, at this point, with your, with your resume, you, you, it, people must be uh, completely happy to have you come on to a show and ask to do stuff. Oh, gosh. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm very, I'm blessed and grateful for that. But I'm sure that, you know, if someone wants the hot new thing, I'm not that. Sure. No, but I, it depends what what someone's looking for. I think when I read something, even if I like it, if I don't feel like I see it, I'm not the right person for it. Mm. And I think I'm a lot clearer about that now because I might want to go see something, but to to actually be the one that is going to delve in that material and breathe and live it for a year of your life. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a big commitment. Yeah, it is. It totally is. And I, I, I had a recent experience with that myself where I think my agent was sending me scripts and I was going through these scripts and I, I had this period where I was just turning down a lot of stuff because none of it really was, I wasn't responding to any of the stuff that I was reading. And I had this moment where I, I started to feel insecure about it. And I was like, if I keep turning these things down, they're not going to send me stuff. So do I just respond and say, yeah, and I try to make it work. Um, and uh, luckily, <laughs> luckily I have a nice agent and he was very, very vocal about it. And he was like, look, man, if it doesn't respond, if you, if you, if you don't feel it, then why the hell would you want to be stuck with this thing for two years? Uh, I think that is such good advice from your agent. Because the bottom line is that is really true. You have to really want to go there. And if you don't, you know, you're not the right person for it. Yeah. And let someone else who loves the material and sees it tell that story. 
Yeah, because you're going to be tortured by it. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it takes so long to do this stuff. And, you know, and here's a fascinating question. In television, how much time do you spend in the edit room for this stuff? Or do, do the editors and the producers sort of take over? Are you involved oh, with the cuts? Point, uh, you know, per the DGA, uh, an, an hour-long series, you have four days to turn in a director's cut. And okay. those are usually long, long days, but it's pretty quick. But you should and can stay on every step of the way. Nice. Okay. I so, was curious about that. Yeah. I mean, in in Homeland, because usually I would be editing from overseas, I had a system where I could see the cut and the editor at the same time. But when one of you is nine hours ahead, <laughs> it, was, it was always challenging. Uh, we would make it work. You know, somebody would have to get up really early and we would take turns on who that would be. And, uh, but it, that is, it's absolutely essential for a director to, to complete the process of their work. Yeah. Cause the edit is where it all, literally, I always say that films for me are in three stages. There's the, there's the pre-production where there, there are no boundaries and ideas are great and you can do whatever you want. And then there's the heartbreak of production often where you're just like, okay, so I have enough money to do one of those things. And so then you go through the process of that. And then after you finish shooting, uh, you then go into an edit room and there's a folder and full of clips and you're just praying to God that you have enough clips <laughs> in that folder to be able to string together the story that you wanted to do. So it, it, the movies are really made in three separate stages, in my opinion. It's very true. And and the good news is you get to go relook at them again and see it with different eyes. Yes, and, totally. You know, Alex Ganza, who, you know, again, the my producing partner, uh, you know, re- creator, writer, extraordinaire. Um, he's amazing in the editing room. So we go back and forth. You know, he, but ultimately at the end of the day, he created the show. I was not there in the beginning. And if mm-hmm. we don't agree on, on something, he wins. You know, sure. at the end of the day, someone is in that position. And I am not. You know, now that's not to say you don't, you know, a director doesn't have a lot of say in this, but that that's the truth of it. And I think you need to know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause you're, there has to be a captain of the ship and, and for something like a television show that has so much stuff that they, they had to go through to get it made in the process of being the person that, that basically helms the overall vision. You, you have to understand that, that, which is oftentimes I think a little strange from a director standpoint in my mind, because then when you, I think films are a lot more director centric, you know what I mean? Other than dealing with your producers, I suppose. degree, but if you have a studio and they have a differing opinion, yeah, I mean, it's not that different. You know, again, hopefully you are very in sync with your writing producing partner, mm-hmm. you know, and that, you can have differing opinions and hopefully something the best will come out of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't feel like in a film, the director always has, if you're doing a small indie film and you have final cut or you're a director on that level that you have that, that's fantastic. But that's not everybody. Yeah, it's true. 
That's very true. And so as far as like uh, the shows go, for, it must be such a fascinating thing. But do you ever get an opportunity to just sort of enjoy the show going out? Because the show's being released while you guys are shooting and while you guys are in production. Do you oh, ever yes. have that opportunity to enjoy it with an audience? Interesting. Okay. Every year that has been the case with Homeland. We are shooting and the show is airing. Mm-hmm. But this year, that was not the case because when we went to Morocco, we were we were supposed to be shooting this huge section of homeland, which took place in the Fatah, the, in the in the mountains, but on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, and we were supposed to be shooting that in Morocco. But uh, we, when we went there, we understood we would be able to get all the American military equipment necessary to shoot there mm-hmm. in Morocco. But we found out that was untrue. So at the <laughs> last minute, we had to pivot and hold all of that material till the end of the schedule. And, and we shot that in Los Angeles and Homeland had never shot in Los Angeles. So <laughs> we had to take this huge section back to America. Therefore, none of the shows were finished. Uh, We had to wait to start airing till we came back to America to complete even the early shows. Got it. And that never happened before. Wow. So then what was the, was was it an interestingly new experience for you to actually see these shows and actually have time to see this stuff when it comes out? Yes, actually it was. And that it was complete and that we had wrapped. Now, I was still involved with post. We were going to mixes. It wasn't like you yeah. know, we finished shooting and it was done. It, it, go, you know, it went on for quite a while. It was fascinating when the series finale, right before the series finale aired. Hmm. And I hadn't been thinking about it consistently. And then all of a sudden we're coming on Sunday where that's when it's going to air. And Alex and I were texting each other all day. Oh my God, I feel nauseous. I'm <laughs> so I'm gonna, I think I might faint. Finale <laughs> is just filled with landmines. And yeah. we've been blessed with so many nominations and awards and, uh, and you can just get killed. Yeah. Thank goodness the response to the finale has been so positive. And we went through a lot to get to that ending. We all had a lot of differing opinions, and uh, it, but I feel like as a result of it, uh, we have a, I'm really proud of how the show ended. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's wonderful to have that. It's wonderful to have that great experience and to be able to work with such wonderful people and then to have something come out and then be very happy and then have it get well received, which in my mind, I say that last because that's usually in the order <laughs> for me. It's like, okay, and it's well received too. Ah, oh, great. <laughs> but it's, it's you know, wonderful. A series finale. I mean, oh my goodness. There's so many great series that have just been slammed. Oh. Finale. So there was definitely that level of, of panic in operation. Yeah. Now, Congratulations. That's really wonderful. And, and, it's been and a journey. Yeah, and congratulations in general on just having such a wonderful career and, and being able to work 
and and explore stories the way that you have been able to for so long. So it's it's wonderful to well, hear this stuff. I really I am grateful beyond grateful. Uh, we're about we're wrapping up soon here because we're we're kicking on an hour. So I just have like one or two more questions sure. and sure. Um, let's go back to mentorships uh, here and now knowing the power that mentors have had on your career. Um, do you try to return that? Are you, is being a mentor really important to you or? Very important to me. I've been mentoring, oh, for so many years now, you know, 20 years. I, I started early on. Uh, and I think partially it was because I came out of modern dance, which is very female. And mm. I never thought about whether being a woman uh, was a negative. It never occurred to me. Uh, and at that time, and thank goodness things have changed, uh, it, there were not a lot of women directors. And in general, women, some women were supportive of other women, but there were a lot who were not. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, when I get to a place that I, I'm working all the time. I feel like you need to open the door to the next generation. You need to grab the hand, you know, mm. open that door wider. So I've been doing that for a really long time. And, you know, I feel really committed to that. And now I look and so many amazing directors are people that I, young women and men that I mentored. And primarily I focused on women because it was so much harder for women Sure. And diverse directors, but not necessarily. And I've always believed that it should be an equal playing field for everyone. It mm -hmm. should be harder for our daughters to direct than for our sons. It should be equally difficult for everyone. It's not mm -hmm. easy to be a director. Mm -hmm. but totally. It's so much harder for women. And that's where I focused on, on women directors. And thank goodness in the last few years, I think we've seen substantive change. Totally. I think it's wonderful because it, the business has been such a boys club and that generally is, you know, at its root kind of what it is. It's like, I know this guy and he's great. And I'll bring him yeah. in. He's great. And it, I think it's really smart that uh, you're giving back and allowing um, there to be a club for anybody, which is wonderful. Yeah. Which is and, wonderful. You know, I've, I've been involved with various programs in terms of, of, uh, mentoring. I've been doing it on my own on every episode of everything I direct. I have, we have someone shadowing, but, but I have been involved in the last couple of years. Actually, it was Jen Salky, who at that time was the head of Universal, who's now the head of Amazon, who mm. came to me about starting a mentoring program. And when we discussed it, I was like, you know, the only programs that really worked, and the guy who did that program was John Wells, the producer, director, you know, extraordinaire John Wells, who mm -hmm. uh, from ER and now Animal Kingdom and Shameless and West Wing, he's just an extraordinary man. Um, and he had a program years ago where, where a director would come in, usually an indie director, and observe on three or four episodes and then be guaranteed an episode to direct. So wow. I said, listen, if we're going to do this, that's what we have to do. Wow. So just having people shadow, though, that's fantastic. 
if you shadow with a job in sight, it's a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Also, she wanted to do a program for Universal that was making that jump between it's not a training program. These are already directors, whether mm-hmm. they're indie films or documentaries or commercials or music videos. It's that transition to doing series television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the power and just the, the, the knowledge that you can gain by watching that system and understanding how that system works and seeing someone navigate that system. And oh then God. guaranteeing that they will have a job to direct that yeah. that's the power and the program has been very successful very cool yeah that is very cool well, I, I, it's called I, female forward is the name of the program what's it what's it called again female forward oh nice yeah yeah very cool very cool i've always believed that our business is an apprenticeship business anyways and i think you learn so much more by actually putting your hands on stuff and being in a situation in which you can see because there's so many different variables and everything's consistently changing. So it's hard to, there are things that don't change like block light shoot, but there, there are so many like odd variables, everything's shifting. So to like pick up an old film course book from like the 1960s and flip through that, it's not really relevant. And uh, also every world you go into, you have to research. Mm. You know, if I'm I'm going to be doing something about the CIA, you have to really do your homework. Or if you're doing something in an ER or in the West Wing, like you, you want to be prepared to know about that world. And that's exciting. You get to continually learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cool. You get to play. You get to be that person. I remember once uh, my, my brother, my brother decided to be a, a firefighter and he's like, I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to do this. And I'm like... Great, I'm going to be a filmmaker so that I can be a firefighter sometimes and I cannot be a firefighter other times. Yeah. It's like there's something fun about learning about all these different jobs and all these different aspects of life and then sort of dipping your toes in for a little bit and then and then going on to the new thing. So true. Yeah. Look, I have really appreciated this. We're sort of kicking in on our time here. Um, this has been wonderful to me. I've learned a lot from you just having this conversation. Oh, thank um, you. Back at you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, this is the part of the show where we usually ask our guests to give a little bit of advice to the young filmmakers, the young actors, the people that are listening to the show. Um, and for you, I guess I would ask, um, okay, so you are a, you've, you've been given the opportunity to shadow. You've been given the opportunity to follow around a mentor, follow around someone that you really respect. Um, what advice would you give that person for their first day? Like, what would you tell them to, to either look out for? What, what sort of insider information would you give them? Mm. Uh, I would say really have done your homework so that you feel confident about what you know about that story, that you've really seen it in your head, you understand what the characters want and need. You just come in prepared and then enjoy the process. <laughs> Let go of all of that and be be there with your actors, with your crew. So, you know, there are so few of us that get to do this. And I think being grateful for that, at the end of the day, thank your team. Go to the trucks, thank everyone for their work. But 
Don't let the fear paralyze you. So, what did you think? I love the fact that with this show, I get to sit down with these people and have these conversations. Uh, I learned so much, and uh, I learned so much today from Leslie. She had such great insight and such really good advice. Um, and I'm fascinated. I'd love to actually see her direct. I'd love to see what it's like to be on a television set, because it sounds like it's an independent film on crack. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Uh, and she's been doing it for so long, and she uh, has such a great way about her, and she's got such really strong systems in place that keep her not only sane, but make her very successful. Uh, and so I hope that you guys have learned something from her on the show. Uh, I'm proud of this episode. And I want to thank everybody involved, uh, making it happen, and thank you for, the, for Leslie's team for actually getting her on board for this episode. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Liam, for cutting the show and literally dealing with my, what is it, like six false starts of my intro read for this one. <sighs> I haven't been sleeping enough. I was up all night uh, watching samurai movies. <sighs> COVID. <laughs> so uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we have many more great episodes on the way, more bigger and better guests. I keep saying that, and we keep delivering, uh, and you guys keep showing up. The numbers don't lie. We know when you come. We know when you tell your friends. So please do so. And uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Liam. Thank you, Code Electro, as always, for giving us the tracks that we're listening to. Um, I'm going to let you go because I'm exhausted. And I think it's time to take a nap. So... Stay safe, stay sane, and I will see you next Tuesday. 